Okay, we are, uh, this is our last uh, talk in this Raising Arrows series. And we have kind of based this entire thing around these three core principles in our parenting that we want to really spend intentional time with our kids. This is the, the meal time, the drive time, the bedtime, devotion time. We want to be intentional with our time. Second, we want to uh, really capture the God moments in our li- in the lives of our children and teenagers. So when they fail, when they mess up, we want to use those moments that could be uh, a really bad situation and really capture the God moments in those times. And, and last, we want to leverage milestones. We want to leverage the big days. Like today is a big day for our seniors, right? As they are we're celebrating our seniors here at church today. Graduation's probably this week sometime. That's a milestone in a child of a teenager. And so we want to leverage these milestones. So time, moments, milestones are this kind of triangle that we're trying to accomplish in the life of our kids and our teens. And so I want to end today, in this series today, in a sense, um, imagining what some of our parents are going through this week or imagining uh, come August when some are being sent off to college, right? Just as if you have, maybe you have kids that are right there doing that in, in a few months or you're like me and you have about 10 years, but the day is coming, right? The day is coming. And um, we imagine what our child, our, our teen, our young adult will be like when they leave, Right? But here is, here's my concern, is that we can really be intentional to practice these three things, intentional time, milestones, and moments. We, we can do those three things, but if our methods in those three things are a bit off, it can point our kids in a direction that seems good, but is ultimately destructive. Let's go to Luke 15. So Luke 15, and we're going to get to the story in a minute. It's the story of the prodigal. And if you've been in church at all, you've heard the story of the prodigal son. It's a pretty famous story. But I want to start kind of a few verses before that story to give us context of who Jesus is talking to, because I believe this story will give us a great filter for our parenting. Verse 1, all the tax collectors and sinners, in a sense, the bad people, right? They were approaching to listen to him. That's so key. The bad people are coming near. Here we go. And the Pharisees and scribes, the good people, were complaining. Do you see this right now? Even in just these few words, we see the direction here. The bad people coming near, the good complaining and turning away. And I said this phrase, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And he goes through a few other parables before he gets to this one. But here's the context of, of why he's sharing these parables. And then ending with the story of the prodigal. It gives great insight into what he's trying to teach and who the audience he's trying to teach this to. 
the primary audience here is the Pharisees and the scribes and how they are complaining about those that are far away from God coming towards God. So let's go to it. Verse 11. He said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he gave the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he had squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And I am dying of hunger. So I'll get up, I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up, he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughtered it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And, and you can hear the older son getting mad as he's walking. Almost like he's, he's just, I've been working all day. What, what's this racket going on out here? So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. He said, your brother is here. He told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has brought him back safe. He has him back safe and sound. Then the older brother became angry and did not want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? Verse 31. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's a beautiful story, right? Like we just hear this and we just go home. It's a beautiful story of the gospel. But hear this. Jesus' purpose in this parable is not simply to warm hearts of sinners, but to warn and challenge the heart of the cold and the dead and the religious. We hear this and it's a beautiful story of God's love for a sinner, which is true. But the purpose of this parable is for Jesus to warn those 
to not be the older brother, to not be cold and dead and religious. And this has great impact for our parenting. Because we talked about the beginning with the end in mind. When we send our kids off, what are we sending out? And here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that sometimes our functional end is to send off older brothers. To send off older brothers where everything looks good, right? They say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. They have the grades. They have the resume. They are re- they have all of the external things this world wants, but they're hollow on the inside. Here's, here's what I mean. If our end is to raise uh, good kids with good jobs who are polite, we can sometimes feel like, even this morning, so we're sitting here, my boys are here with me, and we're about to pray, and, and Hayes is still kind of riled up. He's, he takes his medicines, but hasn't fully kicked in, and his, his words are not fully settled and respectful. And um, I take Hayes outside, and I talk to him about his words, which is appropriate. Um, but even as I walk, I'm questioning my motives walking back. Do I want Hayes to appear like the good kid who has it all together? So we all want, isn't it, right? Kids, just don't embarrass me. Just don't embarrass me. Please don't embarrass me. Um, but here, here, friends, that's not our job. Listen, our kids are going to embarrass us. But our job is not to raise the external picture of a good kid. Our job is to raise kids from the inside out that have a heart for God. And hear this, inside out kids still mess up. Inside out teenagers still lie. Inside out teenagers, hear this, might still look at pornography. Does that make sense? We don't, those are okay, I'm not saying that. But our kids, even as they have a heart for God, are still going to mess up. So I want to make sure that we're careful in what we're aiming for. Hear this, older brothers, here's a good tell for us, tend to be insecure, proudful of external obedience, and, and ultimately have a lack of love for others. So older brothers do all the right things, right? But on the inside, there's insecurity and there's really a lack of love for other people. Because the real mark of spiritual maturity is not knowing facts, it's love for others. It's love for God and love for others. We can know all the things in the world, but if we have a, a growing heart and affection for God and other people, we are not maturing in Christ-likeness. Because our end, when we send out, when I, when I think about sending out Hayes and Connor, here is what I hope and pray for, is that they are young men who are honest in their brokenness. They're young men who really do love God. They're young men who love and really sacrifice for other people. Not, not just young men who have it all together and who look on the outside, but from the inside, there's this real honest humble brokenness now remember our lens for this series of time milestones and moments i think a subtle shift in how we use the time how we use the milestones and how we use the moments can help us from sending off older brothers or sending off this warm vibrant younger brother into a really dark and cold world so first, first lens is time. 
So the key here is we use our time, our intentional time with our kids and our teens. We want to focus on the heart. We want to focus on the heart. Teach the gospel, not just teach words. Listen, the gospel not only saves our kids, we want to teach them the gospel sustains our kids. This is uh, Paul in Galatians, right? He says, are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? This sense that, you know, our kids put their faith in Christ to save them and then leave his work to do their own works. That never works. And too often in my, in my time with my kids, my intentional time, I default to them just learning facts. Uh, learning these kind of facts about God. Now, here's a, a huge caveat. I do believe that knowledge of who God is transforms our minds and our hearts. So I am not pushing back against us learning about who God is, but I am pushing back on sometimes our parenting can't simply be learning things in our minds and knowing things about God. I really struggle with this. And I know that because when we do devotion time, I, I, I want it to be a lecture. <laughs> well, be quiet. I'm ta- Dad's talking. Well, no, no. The focus needs to be on getting to their heart. Hear this. Knowledge that does not lead to affection and humility will ultimately puff up. Knowledge of God that does not lead to affection for God and humbleness in our sin will lead to pride. And it will puff up and it'll be destructive. It'll be a tool that a self-righteous 16-year-old will use to bludgeon others. Just like we do, right? So these special times, this drive time, as you're driving and you have that, especially as I understand, as you have older, as you have teenagers, it's one of the few times that you have like nothing else going on, correct, with your teenager. That drive time is crucial. But here is the shift. Get to their heart. Get to their fears. Get to what they're, what's really driving them. Not just teaching things. That's important. But get to the heart. Mealtime, bedtime, devotion time. Help them know who God is. Help us know sin. So here, here's a few ways that we can cultivate the heart during these times. Uh, first and probably most important is your love for God. Deuteronomy 6, right? Before he tells them to do these things, to teach these things, he says what? You, shall, you yourselves shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen, many times our kids love what we love, don't they? The best pictures of sports teams, right? Y- your kids love uh, a, a team like the Saints because you love them. They follow you in your sin to that team. And so um, who we, what we love, our kids tend to love. And hear this. There's a difference between saying, all right, kids, it's time for us to talk about God. And, oh, my gosh, kids, hear this. Listen to what my father taught me this morning. It's a difference, isn't it? Your kids will follow what you love many times. And if we don't truly love God, our kids will sniff that out in a heartbeat. They see, the problem with our kids, they always see us, don't they? They see the good and the bad, right? So, your love for God. Second story. This is Jesus' method, wasn't it? Parables, stories to capture the heart, to capture our imaginations. I will tell you this too. Um, our stories of brokenness, 
are some of our greatest teaching tools for our kids. And we want to hide those stories, don't we? Like, well, I can't teach them that. They might learn to sin. Well, no, they're going to learn forgiveness from your brokenness. They're going to learn how to walk in, in, in freedom and a lack of shame because you teach them the forgiveness of God. Your story of brokenness is one of your greatest tools you have as a parent. Third, patience. Patience. Sow seeds. Sow seeds. Sow seeds. Sow seeds of love. Sow, 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 sow. And you're not going to see results many days, are you? If y'all are at your homes, please don't tell me that. Because many times in my home, we do this, and I get like once a month, my kid might say something like, oh, they're kind of getting this, right? But we must be patient as God is impatient with us to sow these seeds. Fourth, consistency. Consistency. Because consistency, A, it shows our kids what we care about, and it's this consistent picture that we go to Christ for our rest. I was a, a help plant a church in Arkansas years ago, and there was this family, they're about 10 years older than me, and they had kids, and I'd hang out with them a lot when I was in Arkansas. And every time, I, every time we'd, have, we'd have dinner, then we'd go to the living room, open God's Word, they'd walk through four or five scripture verses, pray, and kids would go to bed. This, and I probably had dinner with them probably 20 times, and every single time you knew this was the rhythm of this family's life. There was a consistency in pouring into the heart of their kids that was doing something in the life of their kids. Fifth, ask questions and listen. Ask questions and listen. I feel like if our devotion time was more geared around story and asking questions, be much more effective than me trying to walk through 20 verses in a point, <laughs> right? Tell a story, ask questions, and listen. Last, as far as preparing the heart, pray. Pray. Pray your knees off. Pray your hair off. Pray your ears off. Pray, pray, pray. Because ultimately, Psalm 127, right, the Lord is the builder, isn't he? We're not the builder. We sow seeds. And so battle for the heart of your child in prayer. So with this time, we focus on the heart. On our milestones, we focus on the blessing. See, the way we leverage and celebrate milestones is vital because it can either help secure our kids' identity in Christ and our love for them, or can leave them feeling unprepared and insecure for the next season of life. The key in, in making these milestones special is to not miss them and ignore them, but instead it's to bless them. Dallas Willard says this, Blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. I love that. I'm a words of encouragement guy, so I love to bless others of what could be and should be in their life. Listen, as parents, we know this. Don't you just ache to bless your kids? Like in your bones, you want to bless them so much. But I think for us, it's hard to know how to actually do it. Because we live in a world of TikTok, Fortnite, there's words like gender nonconform. All these things that we don't understand, right? That I don't understand. And so how in this kind of a world 
do I bless my kids into a world like this? The most famous scene of blessing in the Bible is the baptism of Jesus. Listen, before he had done any ministry, before he raised the dead, healed the sick, taught people, trained disciples, the Father spoke a word of blessing over him. Matthew 3. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, and the heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. Can you imagine being there for that? Me and my kids play games sometimes. If you could time travel anywhere in the history of the world, where would you go to, right? And like, this might be on my list now. Like, one of these moments of seeing him baptized, the heavens opening up, God descending down. Verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 13 words, 13 words from God spoken from heaven and 13 words that still speak today. I stole all this from John Tyson, by the way. (laughs) Here are three elements of blessing that we can learn from, from this passage. First, acceptance. The phrase, this is my beloved son. It speaks a blessing that we accept our kids. Try to think back to when you were 14 years old. Some of you are shorter than others. Some of us are longer. And just the insecurity of that age. Remember that? Who likes me? Who knows me? Am I valuable? What's, what's troubling now is that reality, I think, is expounded upon with social media, isn't it? And so to think about just the vulnerability of our kids walking through a world that's so cruel. And we as parents have the privilege and the power to speak words of acceptance of this is my beloved son. Second, words of affection. Where God tells his son, whom I love. No caveats. No, whom I love if they do this. Just whom I love. Whom I love. Listen, covenantal love is the hope of the world. The love that says, I'm not going anywhere, right? We had our men's group meet Wednesday night. We had one of those nights when one guy, like, he brings out the big guns, you know, and he drops, like, oh, that's been going on. Okay. And, um, and just to be in a room with men where if someone confesses a big sin and struggle and no one budges, there's, like, this wall of love in that room. That's where change happens right? And here's the power of blessing, is that we can bless that kind of life into our kids with affection. So acceptance, affection, and last, affirmation. With him, I am well pleased. A good blessing over others and our kids has acceptance, affection, and affirmation in the life of our kids. So what does this look like? So so during the milestone of our kids' lives, we should begin this rhythm of recognizing and blessing with those three A's, acceptance, affection, affirmation. Think about this, uh, and there's different times that we can do this. Uh, Birthdays are the way to start. Even Ty showed me um, a few weeks ago of this card he had written for Landry, and he writes one every year on his birthday, really with, with this idea of blessing. 
we're going to write our kids or, or, or share a word, this idea of just blessing them into this next year of their life. Their first Bible, if you have young kids, is a really powerful way to do this. Write a note inside their first Bible, a note of blessing over their life. Um, a big one is baptism. Find a way to, to really capture that moment. Throw a party, right? And at that party, speak blessing over the life of your child. They only get baptized once, hopefully, right? Unless they're like me and they go those four times. But I was a good Baptist when I was a teenager. But listen, those preachers scared you, didn't they? Those evangelists come in and tell you you're going to hell. All right, I'm not going to hell. Uh-uh. I'll go get baptized again. I'm good. Um, y'all know what I'm talking about, don't y'all? So birthdays, their first Bible, baptism, uh, turning 13 is a big one. Turning 13, uh, I think it would be really important, and, and I think we as a church trying to help facilitate this, uh, of how do you have this rite of passage? How do you, I won't say formal ceremony with, with men or women in the life of your child, where it's a ceremony into manhood, into womanhood, where we speak blessings over our children. Turning 16, driving, that's a milestone where they are giving control, giving autonomy that is unique to their life at that time. How do you speak blessing over that moment? And of course, turning 18 and graduating and sending off should be like this just cascade of blessing over the life of your child. So as we're thinking about how do we send off younger brothers, and I think here's the key, blessing from a parent, clear and loving blessing helps provide godly security in a child's life. An unblessed child is many times an insecure child. But if we can learn to bless children the way that Christ, God blessed Christ, it's a powerful tool to send off this prepared but yet secure and warm-hearted young adult. So finally, we turn to the moments in our kid's life, these crucial God moments that happen really when they mess up. And our focus then is on the internal. In these moments, focus on the internal, not on the external. In these moments, we always run to the external, right? Just stop. Just stop. But Jesus, once again, Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. Golly, Jesus, he's coming down. First, clean the inside of the cup so the outside of it may also become clean. I think this might be the most crucial one to help raise warm-hearted followers of Jesus and not cold-hearted Pharisees, is what do we do when they blow it? What do we do in the moment of failure and sin? The way we react in these moments can shape if they focus, if they learn to focus on the internal or the external. Hear this, responding with fear and shame in those moments will only deal with the external nature of their failure and sin. If they mess up and we respond with fear and shame, you're only going to get the outside of the cup. You're not getting in. Because every one of us, when we're presented with fear and shame, we might change the outside, but you're not touching the inside because you're not safe. To truly help our kids move inward in their focus, it's not fear and shame. 
it's not. It's truth and love. Ephesians 4, right? He says this, To see mature manhood into the likeness of Christ, we build up one another with truth and with love. See, truth helps them see the severity, the totality of their sin, their, of their internal desires against God. That's the truth, right? But love gives them a safe place to come to and to keep coming back to. Every one of our interactions in those dark moments with our kids should always end in love. Because I desperately want my kids to feel like I'm a safe place to come to when they blow it. So what does this look like? So if you have a teenager in here, you're battling cell phone usage, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, and, and let's say they're caught looking at pornography. For many parents, this is like the worst fear, isn't it? They see this and their eyes are forever tainted and their, and their life is forever changed on some level. That There is some truth to that because we know habitual pornography, it does literally rewire the brain. It does. So we know that is a thing to watch out against. I'm going to be the bad news guy for a minute. Just for a minute. Then we'll get to the good news. There's a high probability that your child will look at pornography at some point in their life. There's a high probability. So how are you going to respond? Is it fear and shame or is it truth and love? So if we respond with fear and shame, what we're going to, fear and shame looks like this. It's a balancing act, I'll be honest with you. Where we shame them so much for what they've done and we thought, okay, they'll never do that again. They feel so bad, they feel so rotten, they feel so guilty it's out of their system. It's going to last about a week honestly. And they're going to find out, there's Hattie Jane, they're going to find out that you're not a safe place anymore. And that fear and shame becomes more shame and more hiding because we reacted and did not respond. We reacted with kind of with fear and shame. The other response is truth and love. Now, now truth does not skirt the consequence of sin or the depravity or the deepness, or the offense. We don't skirt that in truth, right? We don't. We simply state what the truth is. Like, son or daughter, I love you. I love you deeply. And, and what you did is an offense against God. And, and the real problem with this sin is it tends to escalate. It tends to become habitual. And so to avoid these consequences, we have to get a plan together of how you're going to avoid this misstep in the future. But then it ends in love, where once again you remind them of who they are in Christ and who they are in your family. I love you. I'm still here for you. Truth and love. Everything you go through, say you have a child and they um, uh, push a kid at school. Connor pushed a kid at school a few weeks ago, and I was kind of shocked. He was like, well, I didn't push him. I just knocked him out of the way. I was like, well, that's pushing, Connor. <laughs> and so um, uh, well, he's like, he cheated. I was like, well, tell the teacher. And um how we respond to those moments can either teach them what we tend to do, <laughs> and I know this in the past, is a kid will hit another kid, so we hit that kid in a spanking. And it just, and many times it reinforces that, that violence is the answer to violence. And listen, I, I'm not, I'm not getting into the spanking debate right now. That's, that's fine. It's another conversation, right? And I'm not saying that's evil to spank. 
But we have to be careful in how the words and the tools we use do not reinforce what is unhelpful behavior or lead to further shame, but truth and love. Or when your kid fails a class. Well, they're seventh grade and they fell, fell a math class. Well, there goes college. <laughs> right? That's fear and shame, isn't it? Are, is it just me or our kids have so much pressure now? We had testing week, right? Or some are still in testing, I believe. Um, the amount of, I heard about a kid I know uh, threw up for school because he was so stressed about testing. Listen, our, our kids are in a tense world. How do we replace fear and shame with truth and love? So a famous pastor, Eugene Peterson, when he, when he died, uh, his kid gave a eulogy and said, really, my dad had one sermon. He preached all the time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but he had, really had one sermon, and that was the gospel. That everything really came down to the heart of God for sinners. And, and I, I really think if, if, our, if our kids leave one day, and if our kids say, you know, my parents taught me a lot of things. But what they really taught me was this one essential truth. That even though, even Kevin was mentioning this to me earlier. He was with some friends. And he was just saying, if it wasn't for God, where would I be? And I believe that is really the story for every Christian, isn't it? If it wasn't but for God, where would we be? And if we can pass on that ethos to our kids, that heart to our kids, that truth to our kids, I promise you, a lot of things will click together, right? We try to order, at least I do, I try to order everything, this right here, make it perfect. If we teach our kids the gospel, if we love Jesus, many times God will click together what we've done imperfectly, right? So let's leave with that essential truth in our time, in our milestones, in our moments. And I believe God will do incredible things in life for our teenagers and our kids. Let me pray for us and we'll go, we'll go worship.